Hello, everyone. I'm Warren Smith, and I'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast. You know, here at Ministry Watch, we bring you news about Christian ministries as well as the latest in charity and philanthropy, all designed to help us become better stewards of the resources God has entrusted to us. Every Friday, we do a weekly news roundup on this podcast, but these Ministry Watch Extra episodes are opportunities for us to explore in more depth a particular issue. And today we have on the program Jim Dennison. Jim Dennison is the founder of the Dennison Forum, which in the past few years has emerged as one of the leading Christian worldview voices on radio and the internet. We've had Jim on the podcast before, and I wanted to bring him back to discuss the events of the past week in Washington, D.C., and to ask how Christians should respond. Jim, as you and I are having this conversation on Thursday, we're just a day uh, beyond, less than 24 hours really from the violence in the Capitol, and uh, you've got some thoughts about that. Uh, Would you mind sharing them with me? Happy to do that. The first, obviously, was shock and horror. I was watching this on television yesterday, and Warren, I thought back to when I was in Tiananmen Square in Beijing. I've been to Tahrir Square in Cairo. I've been to the uh, Temple Mount any number of times in Jerusalem. I remember a mob scene outside my hotel room in Athens. I never thought it would happen in America. Of course, it hasn't happened in America since the War of 1812, but the violence that we saw yesterday did not happen in a vacuum. And the two thoughts that are in my mind for believers are, first of all, let's understand this moment where we find ourselves as a culture. And then second, let's understand the opportunity that we have as believers to be salt and light in a culture that desperately needs both. Well, Jim, you said that uh, that violence didn't happen in a vacuum. Can you say a little bit more about that? You bet. I'm convinced that what happened yesterday is part of a larger trajectory that's been happening in the culture for a long period of time. You think back to 1960 and allegations of impropriety in the election with Kennedy and Nixon. You think about 2016 when many Democrats thought that the Russians stole the election or 2000 when they were concerned about George W. And of course, concerns about election rigging and all of that right now and people that feel they're not being heard. Well, part of what's going on here is we have a, a context in our culture today where politics that should be downstream from culture, as Frank Wolf says, have become all-consuming. And that's because we've given up any sense of objective truth. So the way that we accomplish is not through reason, it's not through discussion, it's through political victory, or it's through the courts and the judges that are named by political victors, by political leaders. So we're at this place now where we're legislating morality through, through politics. And if we think the politics are corrupt, then people feel like they're unheard and they have to do whatever it takes to be heard. That could be the Black Lives Matter riots last summer. That could be what we saw yesterday at the Capitol. That's an antagonism and an angst in the culture of people who've made politics how they try to change culture, who don't believe the system can be trusted, and who believe they have to do whatever it takes to be heard. Now, I want to be very clear. We're here to condemn the violence. There is no question, biblically or morally, that what happened yesterday was absolutely wrong. Violence is wrong. But what we also need to understand is what's behind that violence is a belief that people aren't being heard, that the system is broken, and they have to do whatever it takes to fix it. Well, that's the opportunity we have to speak the truth in love. Well, Jim, a part of that truth, though, certainly has to be the fact that President Trump launched more than 50 legal challenges to this uh, election. None of them went anywhere. I mean, at, at some point, does the people who feel like they are not being heard, 
is it because they're really not being heard or because they refuse to face reality, because they refuse to face the truth? And that's both sides, isn't it? It's a non-falsifiable assumption. One way to look at this is exactly what you just said, and that personally would be my position. If 50 different courts have heard this, and certainly there's not credibility to these charges on the level that's being alleged. If Attorney General Bill Barr says there aren't enough votes to have changed the election, that certainly we ought to be hearing that, that it wasn't rigged to the degree that that's what cost the election. But the other side is to say, well, see, the courts are in on it. The courts demonstrate how deep the corruption goes. Bill Barr demonstrates how deep the corruption goes. And a lot of the courts didn't reject on the merits. They rejected because they didn't have standing or there wasn't the right time frame or things like that. But they didn't actually look at the evidence. You can see how the other side would hear that as evidence of how deep the problem actually is. I'm not advocating that at all. But I do know people are looking at the way that this has been handled as an example and a symptom of the larger problem. Well, Jim, um, I, I think that you've done a really nice job of sort of identifying uh, some of the problems in the larger culture that I think that one of the reasons that Trump has been able to um, uh, have the power that he has in the culture is that there really are real problems here, that they're, that people feel disenfranchised, that they feel like they are not heard. However, just because the diagnosis is accurate <laughs> doesn't necessarily dictate a particular solution. And it concerns me that a lot of not only Americans have uh, resorted to this, um, what I have heard called the political illusion, this idea that that all of our problems are political problems. Therefore, we should be seeking political solutions. Christians should know that these are spiritual problems. And it concerns me, and I'm wondering if it concerns you, that a lot of our Christian leaders are buying into this political illusion, that they are giving their allegiance to political leaders and political solutions whenever they should be pointing us in a different direction. Could not agree more, Warren. Absolutely. And that's a nonpartisan statement. Whoever those leaders are and whatever that party is, absolutely true. I've been very much impressed over the years by James Davison Hunter's work at the University of Virginia and his monumental book, To Change the World, in which he proves that culture does not change by winning elections. You think about the advent of uh, the Ronald Reagan election uh, in the early 1980s and how grateful the evangelicals were. And then with George W. Bush in 2000, well, divorce rates skyrocketed when Reagan became president. Gay marriage first became legal when George W. Bush became president. Not their fault. I'm not blaming them. I'm simply saying that's not enough to change the culture. A dear friend of mine in Dallas became mayor some years ago, a very committed evangelical, a member of our church. And he told me how frustrated he was with all the Christians that helped him get elected and then immediately left as soon as he was elected. Didn't show up at city council meetings, weren't engaged in the process. They thought electing an evangelical was enough. That's categorically not true. Chuck Colson could have told us that. We've learned that over the decades, that it's not enough to win elections. Elections themselves can are, are just in, in part of the situation. I'm not saying we shouldn't be running. We should be. More Christians should be running for office than are running for office. But that by itself isn't the solution. The solution's the heart. And that's where ultimately what we need most is the good news of Jesus. You say uh, in, a, in a statement that you released, uh, Jim, within the last 24 hours, that this attack will have long-ranging consequences. Can you say more about that idea? 
Absolutely. It's on two levels. The first is overseas. Michael Morell, who was the acting and deputy director of the CIA yesterday as this was happening, was reporting that our adversaries overseas were showing footage of the Capitol assault and telling their people, this is what democracy brings. Be glad you don't live in a democracy. They were telling the rest of the world, this is what the U.S. is trying to bring you when it spreads democracy. So already we're seeing our adversaries using this against democracy and against us. More internally, if we don't understand the larger issues that are here, and if we don't seek a better, more proactive, more redemptive, more holistic solution, we should not believe this is going to change simply with a different election, with a different person in the White House, with a different year on the calendar. This is a symptom of the human heart, and ultimately that's why the gospel is so vital to the, to the entire solution before us. What do you think the long-range effect on the credibility of evangelical leaders will be? That's where I'm especially concerned. I watched on TV yesterday, Warren, as I guess Christians, people carrying Christian flags were part of these demonstrators that were attacking the Capitol. I saw one person with a fish flag. I saw somebody else with a flag that says, Jesus is my Savior and Trump is my president. Well, a secular culture doesn't understand that that doesn't represent us. One evangelical is not all evangelicals. And so we're seeing already a belief that evangelicals were behind some of this. Evangelicals for four years have been in some ways placating and even endorsing and all of that. We've had evangelical leaders who over the years have unfortunately been seen as tying themselves so fully to the president, to his administration, that all evangelicals are seen in that kind of a context. So in that sense, I think it's really bad news. The sense that the larger skeptical secular culture sees us as part of any political party, any political movement is a, is a mistake. On the positive side, what I'm hoping and praying is that evangelical leaders will see this crisis, this flashpoint, as an opportunity for us to get back to the basics of praying, speaking, and acting biblically, of being salt and light in a culture that so desperately needs both. Well, in the statement that you released, Jim, you um, kind of come to that point. You say that your your fourth point in your statement is that God can redeem this tragedy as a turning point for our nation. Uh, can you say more about what needs to happen? What needs to happen in our culture uh, and in our political discourse? But I think from where I sit, Jim, I'm more concerned about what can we as Christians do? What can we as believers do, especially those of us who have something of a platform? You and I are obviously talking on this podcast and we, um, you know, can, can, uh, I, you know, I don't want to be too uppity about <laughs> the size of our respective platforms, but I do think that, you know, God has given us the stewardship of thought leadership, uh, in, in this culture. And, um, at least to a certain extent, what should those of us who are in positions of leadership, whether it be, uh, you know, pastors, evangelical leaders, ministry leaders of other kinds be saying and doing right now? Great question. The first is to ask that question. The first is to be praying about that question. Lord, what would you have me do now for such a time as this? It's by God's grace that you and I weren't alive a hundred years ago or a hundred years from now if the Lord tarries. We're missionaries not just to where we are, but to when we are. So let's see this as God's call to us. I'm thinking about Nehemiah praying and confessing sins he had not committed, but that the nation he led had. We need to see this like Nehemiah. This needs to be our hearts as well. We need to be saying, Lord, what would you have me do with the influence you've entrusted to me? Then second, we start where we are. 
I'm back to James Davison Hunter. Seek excellence where you are now. Manifest faithful presence now. Whether it's this podcast, whether it's your social, whether it's preaching, whether it's personal influence, who do you know personally and locally? Do you know your city council? Do you know your mayor? Are you engaged personally with those with whom you have personal influence to make a difference with them? And then beyond that, God, what do you want me to do I'm not doing? I'm convinced more Christians are called into public service than are answering the call. I'm convinced God is calling Christians to be the solution to the opportunity that's before us, to the glory of Jesus as we bring the only hope there really is. And that's the hope that's found in Christ alone. Well, a lot of people are saying that uh, yesterday, as, again, as you and I are having this conversation, it was yesterday, was a historic day, that it is a day that will live in infamy. Um, but what I hear you saying uh, is that while certainly that's one way to look at it, that it could also be a positive turning point, that um, you are hopeful and not uh, pessimistic about the future. That's the position I believe that in the gospel we're called to take. Uh, obviously, we're not trying to be naive about what's happening in the culture and the difficulties and the depths of the issues that we face and that we're going to face. But what happened yesterday was by no means the only issue we face. We're looking at a pandemic that could cost 150,000 Americans their lives this month. We're thinking about biological threats beyond that. We're looking at China and Russia. We're looking at issues relative to moral issues going forward. We as Christians right now need to be banded together around Jesus. We need to be closer to him than ever and asking him, how can we be salt and light right now? Well, the good news is the darker the room, the more powerful the light. I remember years ago, I was part of a group in Carlsbad Caverns, and we were down in the depths of those caverns, and they had us sit down, and then the tour guide turned off his flashlight. It was pitch black. Couldn't see your hand in front of your face. Then a little bit later, he turned his flashlight back on, and your eyes were instantly drawn to that light. You couldn't help it. It was instinctual. We've all had that experience of being in a dark room and seeing the light and being drawn to it. Well, you and I are called to be that light in this dark world because Jesus is the light of the world and we reflect his light. Well, if I'm a flashlight, I'm looking for dark because where the dark is, is my opportunity to be what I was created to be. Jim Dennison, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Uh, these are good words and helpful words. Thank you so much. My privilege, Warren. Anytime I can be with you, I'd be honored. You've been listening to my conversation with Jim Dennison of the Dennison Forum. To find out more about the Dennison Forum and to sign up for Jim's daily emails, emails that, by the way, I found to be very helpful and nourishing, go to denisonforum.org. To find out more about Ministry Watch, you can, of course, go to ministrywatch.com. Now, before we leave today, I'd like to share with you just a couple of quick housekeeping items. Number one, uh, thanks to all of you who've rated this podcast on your podcast app. Those ratings are helpful and important to us. They uh, allow our podcast to be more easily found on search engines out there on the internet. So it's a free and easy way for you to support the program. Doesn't cost you a dime. Just rate us on your podcast app. And secondly, we are a donor-supported ministry, and I just want to thank everyone who gave to Ministry Watch uh, before December 31st. We met, in fact, significantly our, exceeded our year-end goal. We are so grateful to God and to you for that. Thank you. And one final note before we go, Ministry Watch is doing a free online webinar on Friday. It's called How to Find and Evaluate Senior Leadership Talent for Your Church or Ministry. Now, my guest for this webinar is executive search guru Bruce Dingman. 
Um, that's the good news. The other news is that we've sold out that webinar. Um, so I'm sorry if you didn't get a chance to sign up, but please know that we will be doing an encore presentation of that webinar later in the year. The producer for today's program is Rich Rosel and Steve Gandy. We get database technical and editorial support from Kathy Goddard, Stephen DeBerry, and Christina Darnell, as well as Casey Suddeth. I'm Warren Smith, and you've been listening to the Ministry Watch Podcast. Until next time, may God bless you.